calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Good day, good people. This is Brad King. You are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam podcast. This is day 39 from the bunker. Hope you're all doing well. Have a great show for you today. Uh, Samantha Bailey, who wrote a book called Woman on the Edge. She and I have a great conversation. Really excited for you to meet her. Um, she is one of those people that, uh, in my life, that I just, we clicked immediately. Talk a little bit about that in a bit, but I think that you guys will enjoy this conversation. Before we get started with all of that, on May 29th, I am hosting uh, uh, an online happy hour and book club um, with Janelle Brown, who has a new book out, Pretty Things, which just arrived today for me, which I'm very excited about. Um, she was on the show a couple episodes ago, which you should go listen to. Um, this is going to be a huge book, and she's a great writer. So that one has sold out, but if you sign up for the waiting list, if we get 10 people, for every 10 people we get on the waiting list, we're going to add new spots up until a certain point. So go sign up for that now. You can do that by going to thebradking.com. Um, it's right there on the front page. Uh, you can also go to Eventbrite and search for it. While you're at my page, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter, and there's a little link at the top that says Bookshop. You can click on that, and you can go order any of the books from anybody who've been on the show. And when you do that, you support local and independent bookstores. And while this is not an advertisement, I really dig what they're doing, and I think that's the best way for us to be ordering books, both in the pandemic and after the pandemic. The last thing I'm going to ask you to do before we get into the meat of this is to go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. Um, the most important thing you can do for the show is share this with your friends, tell everybody about it, and leave a review because that's how things get found. So I'm about four weeks into the pandemic season here, and 
it has become apparent to me, and I always kind of knew this about myself, but that the show is one of the things that's helping keep, it's helping me stay sane because I get to talk to writers and I understand writers. I understand writers in a way that I don't understand regular people, other people. I literally just hung up the phone with my father and he obviously listens to the show um, because that is what most parents do. And I was telling him that like this writers have been a through line in my own life. Like they have always been the people that I've hung around with or writing adjacent editors, things like that. Photographers who, you know, work with writers and the show has really changed in the last four or five weeks because I went from interviewing people who I curated in a very specific way to broadening this and opening this up to writers that I've never met, writers who live in other countries. Um, the only connection that we have is that we're writers. You know, they have books coming out now, but that's not to say that there will be a common connection. You wouldn't necessarily think that. Except for that I do. I think that I was telling a friend of mine the other day that the reason I think people have these fast connections in life, you know, you meet somebody and you just kind of vibe and you're like, man, I don't really, like, I don't know what's going on here, but like, we're getting along. And I think that comes from some major shared event whether it be a similar kind of trauma, whether it be some kind of heightened experience that you both went through. Um, and I think writing is a little bit like that. I think writers end up... The premise of the show has been it's going to be a long-form conversation and we're going to try to figure out what terrible decisions you made that brought you to the life of a writer. Most people who I interview get that joke, right? It doesn't terrible decisions doesn't mean bad things happen to you. It doesn't mean you have to be, you know, angry or depressed or whatever like the mythologies say. It just means that like something happened and you want to unpack the world in a certain way. For me, I went into nonfiction because of things that happened early in my life that imprinted on me and I've spent the better part of my adult life trying to understand why people do things the way they do is if I can under, if I can understand that, right? If I can just interview and talk to and write about enough people, eventually I'll understand what normal is, right? Which we understand is a folly, right? I say normal immediately. People are like, there's no such thing. But there, but there is a normal-like thing for which I don't have, right? It's why I'm in therapy. It's why I go to trauma therapy. It's why, I, you know, I've been doing it for several years. It's why, I, you know, parts of my life repeatedly fell apart throughout my adult life, right? The patterns. But even as that was happening, I always found solace in the writing because it was sitting down to deconstruct something in a way that I could understand. And so when I talk to writers... 
my premise is always the same, that you got into this because something happened that made you want to represent the world on a page. And you wanted to do that by sitting down alone by yourself and thinking about that, right? You take this vague notion in your head that you think is concrete, but it's vague because as soon as you try to write it, that makes it concrete. And that's when you realize like, ooh, I, I got to think about this a little more. So you have to take your vague notion, make it concrete, and make it concrete in a way that another person reading it, and hopefully lots of other people reading it, will understand what that means. So the amount of sort of internal empathy that you need to not only understand the thing that you're trying to represent, but to understand the ways in which other people might take the thing, I'm, I'm going to use this word, but I don't mean it in the way that is pretentious, but it takes a special kind of person to do that. That specialness is something had to, there's a reason. There's a reason you want to do that. There's a reason you want to sit down and represent things. Those reasons are different, right? If you've listened to all of these shows, you know, there are different, everybody's got their own story. There are some similarities in some, and you could probably draw some Venn diagrams, but everybody, the, the chapters in their story are different, but the story is always the same. Is that you're trying to figure something out. And so as I've moved into this world where I'm interviewing a bunch of people that I don't know from other countries, like all this kind of stuff, I have found an easiness with almost everybody. And you, you've, if you've listened to the shows, like there's some times that you can tell like things are not exactly going the way that, that, they, that I want them to go um, and the way that I think that the show works best. But, but that's okay, right? Because there's still that common thread that goes through. Um, and then there are people like my guest today, Samantha Bailey, who's a Canadian writer. And I, I don't know what it was. I mean, we'll get into it in the show and you'll, you'll hear a little bit about it, but we just clicked like the conversation clicked. Like there's something about um, the ways in which the wise of the world for us align. Right. And you can hear that. I think I've had that with other people. Um, and this is one of those shows. And I, and I find those really refreshing. And it came for me at a time when I was really struggling here in the house. Just like everybody else, you kind of go day to day. Um, and that was one that, like, I left that conversation. And, and I sent her a note after. And I'm like, we're going to have to do that, like, once a month. Like, without, without, the, without the podcast, right? Like, just because it was such, it was one of those, like, rider-to-rider connections that you're like, oh, shit, yeah, man, like, that was good and healthy, and, like, we talked about cool stuff, and I didn't think about the world that way. And that really is the show for me, and it's why I do it. I would do that whether I was doing this podcast or not. I've been doing that my whole life. Uh, I told my dad, like, I'm a writer's writer. Like, I'm not a good writer, but when I hang out with other writers, like, I'm part of the group. Like, I, the fact that I don't have bestsellers and things like that, I, I never don't feel like I'm part of that crowd um, because I understand that crowd because I am, I am them, right? Uh, and and there's, a, there's, a, there's a comfort in that. And that's, it's one of the reasons I'm really excited to do the show. I'm really excited to get Samantha's interview up. Her book is Woman on the Edge. You can go to bookshop.org. You can go through it through my site. Buy the book. Read the book. But before you do that, let me introduce you to Samantha Bailey. 
So I'm going to start the way I have started all of the pandemic shows, which is asking how you, what's it like where you are? How are you guys doing? Um, so I'm in Toronto. And so it's, all, it's pretty much a total shutdown except for essential services. Uh, it's quiet. Um, it suddenly got really cold. It actually started snowing again yesterday. And I find, you know, everyone seems a little cheerier when the sun is out and it's a little warmer. So, um, that's been a bit hard just that it's gotten colder. So, um, you know, we can't, you know, it's not as easy to get outside for as long. Um, you know, I'll tell you a story though. This is, this is pure Canada. So a Loblaws, which is one of our biggest grocery store chains, on Easter Sunday forgot to, or somehow they missed locking the door. And so on Easter Sunday, people went in to go shopping or just went by shocked to find the door open, went in, went grocery shopping. And every single person who took groceries left a note with their names and said, and we will return when the store opens to pay you. That's the most Canadian thing I've ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> right, right. If that happened in America, not only would every shelf be empty, but the building would be on fire and there would be people sitting outside like with hot dogs, making hot dogs on the, as the building. <laughs> it is. It's pure, it's pure Canada. Um, yeah. That just, you know, it's restored my faith in humanity. Although, you know, I, I've always had, you know, strong faith in humanity, but I just thought that was beautiful. I thought that was just such a great story to come out right now. And yeah, uh, yeah everyone's doing the best they can. Everyone's trying to, you know, adhere to all the guidelines and keep themselves and everybody else safe and trucking along. I would say everyone's just trucking along. Um, yeah, it's weird. Uh, my, I was, my old wired colleagues and I, we haven't been together in like 20 years and we did a zoom last night. Um, and we were just kind of laughing because literally we're like, what social thing can I make happen? Because I've been sitting in my house all day long. And like, for someone like me, like I'm an outdoor guy, like I camp and hike and like I need to be around people and they're like, you can't go outside and avoid people. And I was like, Oh shit. Like this is going to be a really bad experience. Um, yeah. So have you been doing a lot of like catching up with old friends and things like that? Or have you been focused? I have talked, I was going to say, sorry, I was going to say, I have talked to more people on zoom <laughs> than I've spoken. I don't actually like the phone. I think most writers, we probably don't like the phone. Um, we you know, we, we like email, we like text. I prefer email the most. Uh, so I, I don't speak on the phone very often and I do go out face to face. Uh, but I think my happy spot is email. And so it is amazing how many people I've seen face to face over zoom people I haven't seen in, in 10 years you know, an actual person. We, we yeah. were Zooming friends, author friends. I've had a lot of author friend Zooms because we're all, we understand we're all in the same spot. A lot of <laughs> us who have debuts out or who, whose books are coming out, um, you know, just talking about it, trying to help each other and just, just, just talking. So I think I have talked more because of this than I may have ever talked in the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah. It's been so interesting as I've, you know, I put this out on Twitter um, and through some other channels, like, Hey, if you got a book coming out, I'll bring you on the show and like, we'll do this. And as I do the pre-calls with everybody and you and I had one of these, like I'm literally talking to authors that I've never met and it'll be like, what should be a 15 minute call turns into like a 45 minute whatever with like literally somebody I've never met in some other country or some other part of the world. And you're just like, Oh, I guess this is what we do now. 
<laughs> yes, yeah. because it's, it's the first time in history where everyone is in the same position. And we have the technology that connects us enough that it's like, oh, like I can yes. actually do this. Um, yes. And when I was a college professor, I, I taught several versions of like internet history and technology history. Um, and it, these kinds of things, right? Like these kinds of technologies allow us and have always allowed us to do that, you know, for, you know, decades and decades, but it's just so fascinating right now that like you can find affinity groups, right? So like, I like writers. Most of my friends are writers. And now, like, like you said, every writer's in the same boat. So we're all like, yeah, I'll talk to you. Like, who are you? Yeah, yeah sure. Come on in. Like, <laughs> yeah, fine. Yeah. Like I'm sick of dealing with whatever else. Like, let's talk about the bullshit of writing and we'll do that. Yes. All. Yeah. Yes. So, um, are you from Toronto? Is that where you're originally from? I am. Yes. So, uh, born and raised in Toronto. Um, but I am a dual citizen actually. So I am Canadian by residency, but I'm also a U.S. citizen because my, my dad is from Queens, New York. Oh, interesting. So yes, yes. So I always feel part New Yorker. It feels like home to me whenever I I go. Yeah. Now Um, were you an only child? No, so I have a, a younger brother who is two and a half years younger, but he's always seemed like the older one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what did your mom and dad do? Um, well, that's an interesting question. So my my father is actually uh, a rabbi. <laughs> so um, yes, he's a he's a rabbi, and my mother uh, was they're both you know they're both retired now, but my mother was uh, an author publicist. Oh, really? So it's in yes. blood. It's in my blood. She, you know, would do the Toronto tours for authors like, um, she did uh, Michael Palmer, John Grisham, Joy oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that derails the entire line of questioning that I always have about your childhood, which is, were they supportive of you writing? Because <laughs> yeah, <right>. I'm assuming <laughs> that the answer to that will be, yes, they were probably very excited that you were doing that. Very excited. And then also, I mean... I think any, any family of a writer is concerned about uh, <laughs> yeah. financial security. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the recurring theme in this program as well. Like mom and dad, you're like, what's the backup plan? Yes. So I think um, always supportive. I mean, I grew up uh, surrounded by books, um, surra- literally surrounded by right. books. My parents have an entire floor of their house dedicated just to books. I, oh I, Yes, I was reading books that, you know, other children probably weren't allowed to from a young age because I would just pull them off the shelf and, you know. Um, Yes, extremely supportive, so happy for me, so proud. Um, But, yeah, definitely um, there is concern over, yeah, the financial aspect of it. (laughs) Uh, And what does your brother do? Did he also go that route or did he do the opposite? My brother's actually, so he's creative. He is actually the, he's the producer and the um, content creator and director, I hope I'm getting this right, for uh, Paw Patrol and all preschool programming at uh, Spin Master. So, oh, yes. So my brother, any, you know, Paw Patrol, that's his. He is, you know, uh, with his team responsible for all the shows that are now saving parents at this present moment. <laughs> Yes. Although he does, he writes as well, but he went more the production route. Sure. Yeah. Um, so he went into the route that is a little more, um, 
secure <laughs> yeah although yeah. right now not so much right like it's pro- well i guess they can probably create stuff remotely some of it yeah he seems he's working so i think i think for you know programs like that it's a lot easier than than programs that had to shut down with with live yeah. actors yeah so when you are so you're are you like bookish in school like do you know like up through high school and stuff like oh i want to do this writing thing like is that sort yes. of where you were because unlike a lot of people that i've talked to who have told me like, and like myself, like I didn't know writing was a career. Like I knew people wrote books, but I didn't really know that was a thing you could do. So you sort of, you knew, and that was what you wanted to do. Uh, Yes and no. So I I submitted my first manuscript when I was 10 years old. Of course you did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) To a publishing, a kid's uh, publishing company here in Toronto. um, And it was rejected. Uh, It was rejected, but I, so I didn't actually know that I could do it as a full-time career un- until I did. And even now, I-, I work as a freelance editor as well. Sure. So it's not completely full-time. But, no, I, I um, you know, ha- had so many different kinds of jobs. I also wanted to be a dancer, actually. I was a uh, competitive dancer when I was younger, too, and had dreams of going to Juilliard and then writing. And um, I never grew past five feet tall, so the dancing dreams were dashed um. <laughs> like like so you are getting ready to graduate high school and yeah. you're trying to make a decision is that sort of when you realized you weren't going to be a dancer or had you sort of were you on the writing track by that point I was on the writing track and I also was really fascinated in psychology so I actually thought I'd be a psychologist full-time and then a writer, um, you know, um, I, w- I don't want to say as a hobby because it was always so much more than that, but a writer, a writer when I could fit it in. So I wanted to do psychology and I planned on being a psychologist. And then I realized I had to study statistics. <laughs> <laughs> so there went that dream. And so I ended up doing, uh, I did a bachelor of education. It's so funny. My, That's, yeah. I did, my parents told like when I went, I was going to go for creative writing. And my dad was like, they didn't tell me what to do, but he just kept saying, like, you should really have a backup plan. And if you teach, you can write in the summer, which I now know is complete bullshit. Right. Like there's 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 no time when if you're teaching there's summer off isn't really summer off. So, uh, yeah, I feel like that is a that is a track that parents like to sort of nudge people that want to be writers into. It's just, just, of course, and I, I understand it. I'm a parent. Um, I want my kids to live their dreams, but I don't want them to struggle. Yeah. You don't want you them know? to live at your house. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, although, I mean, yeah, ask me, ask me when they're older, how I feel about it. Cause you know, we're spending so much time together right now. Um, <laughs> right. Well, it, it's interesting. Cause I know for me, and I've talked about this with other people that had sort of gone the track of not pursuing like an, uh, a writing degree and getting an MFA is that as, and I, it's probably different for novelists, but I know for nonfiction, for what I do, I've always felt like I've had to go back and learn things that I just kind of figured out how to do. You know, like when I was writing, I didn't really have a lot of writing training. So I was figuring out how to tell stories. And now I've had to go back and like study and go, Oh, this is the thing that I do. Or yes. These yes. are the tools people have. Or oh shit, these are the references people are making. I should probably read these books. 
Yes, that is, it's so true. I actually wish that I had done an MFA. I mean, maybe one day, you know, uh, I, I might, you know, or do courses because I just, I, you know, I love it so much. I love the craft of it so much. But it was exactly the same where, you know, over the course of the last six years or so, I started using craft books. You know, I started using um, On Writing by Stephen King, Story Genius. Oh, God, On Writing is so good. Uh, so good. And Story Genius. Have you ever used Story Genius by Lisa Kahn? No. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Really? It's interesting yes. because yes. there are like, we won't go into a whole lot of craft on this program because it's, I, I'm wholly uninterested in discussions about craft, <laughs> except for like when you're sitting around in a bar and it's just writers and you can really sort of talk about, here's the mechanics of the thing that I did. Even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't produce a great story, I'm always like, Oh, I set out to manipulate these people this way. And like, this is how I did it. And like, I really enjoyed that moment. Like, yes. um, and, and, but that took me 20 years of learning what those tools were instead of just like stumbling around like an idiot in the dark. Um, yes. And I, but I also think that the best way to learn writing is by reading. Oh, a hundred percent. So when you're in college and you're getting a bachelor of education, like, is it like in America, like I got a secondary education with an English or communication specialty, which meant English drama, um, and speech. Like, was yours like a general one or did you, like, were you still able to take writing stuff then? Yeah, so I was still, so you can do kind of a, a liberal arts for the first year and then you specialize. I actually did a minor in religious philosophy because mm -hmm. it fascinated me. Um, and, then I, and then I went on to do a master of education. Oh, really? Uh, in, a, in applied linguistics. And so there I could take some very cool courses. I took a course on imagination that was just outstanding. It's interesting. I've had several people that have, that have, that did religious, some sort of religious study as either a minor or sort of a secondary part of what they do. And that, but linguistics and religion feel like two of the things that if you get an MFA or if you study writing that like, that's the kind of stuff that you end up studying, right? Like religious yes. texts, because that's, you know, every reference dates back to some, some yes. religious tome of some kind. Yes. Yes. It's so, it's so true. Um, and all these, you know, yeah, characters and stories and, and uh, the structure of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and linguistics, of course. Um, and mine was implied, applied linguistics. And my thesis was on analyzing dialogue and what people aren't saying when they speak. So the hidden uh -oh. messages. Oh, yeah, yeah it was awesome. <laughs> so, how, so, so let's just, I want to just trace this back. You have an interest in psychology. Then you yes. go and you study the way people learn. Then you yes. study um, sort of the religious texts out of which stories flow from and linguistics and dialogue as to what, how and which we communicate in the ways we do. Like you were getting a degree in writing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In, in a ways I didn't even realize at the time, you know, I didn't realize actually until you say it now <laughs> um, and you kind of put my, you know, my education all together where it hits me and I'm like, Oh yes. Everything put together you know, made me the writer I am. So yes, it's so true. This is how come I went into nonfiction because I'm like, Oh, like I'm always fascinated in putting the story together in reverse, right? Like we're here at the end. Mm. How did, because when I'm assuming like you leave college and it's not a straight line, right? Like all right. of our journeys are zigzagging all over the place. Yes. So rarely do we have time to look back and go, Oh, here's the straight line back. Cause you're too yes. busy figuring out what comes next. Um, and for someone like me, I like to deconstruct people like, Oh, you're here now. Like, 
the, because just like you said, the things that you say and focus on to me as a nonfiction writer, I'm like, well, that's what, whether you know it or not, that's what you find important. And so how do those things string together? Because somewhere in your head, they strung together. Yes. And, and I didn't even realize it until, and you, until you started at my end and, and we go back to my beginning. <laughs> so when you're in college, are you writing? Are you doing stuff or are you just really yes. focused on? Uh, so I, I was always writing, but never a full length novel. So um, I had the story, the children's story that I wrote that was rejected when I was 10. And then I would write these short stories and I didn't do anything with them. I just held on to them and I would keep writing and I'd create characters and they're all, always these dark, these dark, uh, characters. Uh, I was always fascinated by the dark side, but it wasn't until I was 29 and I was taking that course on imagination and the professor had us create a character and I created a a leather loving fetishist called Wanda X. And, um, I had, I had so much fun. Oh my God. I just loved, uh, writing that. And then I was also reading Jennifer Weiner's good in bed. So her debut, and I loved, you know, chiclet and women's fiction. And I closed the last page of the book and I thought, I'm going to do it. That's it. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do this and I'm going to write a novel. And, and I did. And then my story, my story as, as a writer um, on my path, my publishing path, that's where it started. And so, you're, so, but there's some time in between college and graduate school, Yeah. So, yes, I was, I was in graduate school at the same time I, w- I wrote the novel. Uh-huh. Um, I graduated, I love that you say college. <laughs> it's so different here. So university, college, whatever. Right. I graduated, yeah, it, uh, I think I was 22. And then I traveled and I worked and, um, you know, uh, did a variety of, you know, interesting jobs i sold fax paper over the phone i was a telemarketer oh god i can't believe i was you sold fax paper over the phone <laughs> i did it was awful is that what you said there's like i did listening to this are like what in the shit's a fax like i know oh uh, i graduated so i went to mcgill university in montreal for my undergrad so i was living in montreal i lived there for about six years i think so yes i graduated i wanted to stay in montreal my french was not good enough to get um <clears throat> a decent job so yes i sold <laughs> fax paper oh and toner and printer like toner <laughs> well of course that's where the real money is the real money is in <laughs> toners um oh, God. It, it's really it's fascinating to me because i remember when i moved to austin and i was bartending i was literally like well maybe i should be a cab driver this was like before uber and lyft like i get to know the city and i bet i mean like the amount of job stuff that i was willing to go do um because I wanted to be a writer and was sort of trying to figure, I knew I didn't want to work in an office. So I'm like, well, I'll do any, any job anywhere that won't be a career just so that I can sort of try to figure this out. Yes. Is that sort of where you were like, not sure what, uh, at that point I wasn't sure what was coming next. I, I, I was writing, but I did, I didn't have the courage to try a full length novel. So it wasn't wanting to be a writer was always there. But I, but I certainly didn't have the guts to, to say, I, I'm going to now sit down, I'm going to write a novel, and I'm going to take on any job. At that point, it was mere survival. It was mere <laughs> survival to, yeah, to just, you know, afford the apartment I was living in, to get food, whatever it was. Um, it really wasn't until I was, you know, it wasn't until seven years later that I, I said, okay, 
I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit down and do this. So as much as I was in a, I was a writer in my soul, I was not a, you know, a novel writer in practice until I was 29. Do you think that you were intimidated because you had grown up around so many, like your mom and like all these people that really did this, like, or was it just youthful lack of confidence? Oh, that is such a good question. I think I couldn't imagine being able to write something the length of a novel from start to finish. I didn't know how. I didn't know where do you go once you start. I think so many authors, I've heard it now from, you know, writers who contact me and say, I want to do this and I'm scared and I don't know where to start. Now I just say, yep, at the beginning. Yeah. You know, at the beginning. So I think I, I, in my head... I imagined the finished product. I did not know how to get there. <laughs> yeah. <It's, laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I know exactly. Like I, I've written one full length book and then, and then smaller, what chap style type books. Um, and every, and then I have a memoir that is done, but needs editing. And, you know, oh, wow. this is the eternal project that'll, you know, whatever. So, uh, he who shall not be named it's that project um <laughs> it's it's really fascinating when i set to do the memoir because it's creative nonfiction, and i have a lot of source material i did the novelist thing where like i had the note cards on the wall and i had like all the scenes laid out like i was a showrunner and i absolutely everything i wrote i threw out it was such a piece of shit like it was it was right. the worst because I come from an oral culture. Like I learned to tell stories by hillbillies sitting around a campfire telling stories. So, like, <laughs> I, I sit it. down, I literally have to just be like, and it's the criticism of my writing. It's the rightful criticism of my writing, which is that it sounds like I'm talking to you. And I'm like, yeah, right. no, well, I am, you know, like it, it, yeah. that, it, that it sounds, the strength of my writing is also the weakness, which is it's voice and not story. And right. So, like whenever I, whenever people ask me how I'm like, well, shit, grow up around hillbillies to tell stories and then <laughs> just start doing that. You know, like I, I'm no help. I couldn't get an MFA if I tried. So but maybe you don't, but you don't need to right? There are so many different kinds of writers and different ways of writing. So yeah, hundred percent. An MFA would kill the only thing that's interesting about my writing, which is my voice. There you go. There you go. Like, um, because I know, cause that is when I did it professionally at wired and like when I, I was telling some friends of this uh, earlier this year, maybe late last year, that like I've spent the last three or four years unwinding the 20 years of professional writing that I did, right? Like <laughs> when you write at a magazine, nobody's like, hey, I want to hear your, you know, we need more hillbilly in this story, Brad, was not a sentence <laughs> an editor ever mentioned to me, right? Like it was not like, that was not the feedback I was getting. Uh, no. <laughs> So, uh, so you sort of bumming around Montreal, like working, surviving. Yeah. Where do you go to graduate school at? So I went to graduate at, uh, it's called OISE. So it's the Ontario Institute for Studies of Education through the University of Toronto. And why so at did that you point, I education? Yeah. I, well, I was actually, I was, I was teaching at that point. So, uh, for about, oh my gosh, for over 15 years, I taught grammar and writing to adults um, and so I taught structure. I taught, um, I didn't teach creative writing. I taught academic writing. I taught business writing. I taught, yeah. you know, all the, the, you know, grammar. Um, and so, uh, education, I, I love, I love school. I always have loved school. It was kind of, uh, uh, the safe place for me was in books always. 
And so school, you know, is an extension of that. Um, I love academics. I, I considered being a professor, I've, you know, uh, and then I could also, I knew I could write as a professor. I really enjoy writing essays and, you know, um, I'm also a freelance journalist, so I, I love writing articles and features. So uh, education always felt very tied to writing for me. Gotcha. Um, and so, yes. And that's when you start working on the novel. Yes. So yes. what was it that switched that you, that got you? I mean, I know you'd mentioned the, the class on imagination, but was that yeah. really the moment of like, well, I guess I just need to sit down and do this thing. It was, it was Jennifer Weiner's book. Um, it was, oh, right. uh, yeah, it was Jennifer Weiner's book that I, I love those characters so much. I loved the way she told a story, the way she tells a story. She's one of my favorite writers still to this day. I've read every single one of her books. Um, I just, I loved the way she used her voice, the way she used story. I loved everything about that book. And when I closed the last page, I thought, I'm going, I'm going to do this. I, I, I want to do this, and I think I can do this. And then I did it. So what, what do you think changed, though? Like, I know the book and the characters, but, like, you'd obviously been writing and, and sort of tinkering around with this. So why all of a sudden are you like, nope, I can do this now? I think I just felt it was time. And also, actually, no, you're right. It was. So, <laughs> I'm good at this game. <laughs> you are. Well, you should be a therapist, actually. Um, <laughs> so my very best friend and I would trade books back and forth. And she also likes to write. And I said, why don't we write a novel together? And she was in law school at the time. And um, we, we decided, okay, we're going to write a novel and it's going to be chiclet. This is what we're reading. We love it. At that point, it was flying off the shelves uh, before it died, which is right when my, my former agent submitted my first novel. So <laughs> <laughs> the timing was spectacular. But um, <clears throat> so we said, let's write a novel together. And we started. And she, you know, really didn't have the time or she didn't have the same. It wasn't her dream. Right. It wasn't her dream. And so I said, you know what? Are you okay if we stop and I'm going to, I'm going to like, let's forget this story and I'm, I'm going to write my own novel. And she was like, of course, you know, go for it. And um, so I think starting it together and then just realize how much I loved it um, how much I, I want, how much I loved writing, how it felt like a compulsion to me, how it was in my soul, um, how incredible it felt. You know, everyone else would be going to the bars and to dance clubs, and I would stay home on a Saturday night and I would write. And I was so happy. <laughs> it's um, when we did our, our first book. Because the other thing about, I think, I played Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid because I was super <laughs> fucking cool. And our book is actually about, <laughs> about how Dungeons and Dragons shaped online communities. We sort of, it's, a, it's a series of like mini biographies sort of tracing this game through all these people that built these things that we're now using. Um, and so I had a Palm Pilot. I had this thing called the I-705. It was the first Palm Pilot that was wireless. <laughs> And it had a keyboard, a foldable keyboard. And I would go sit in bars 
And I would plug the I-705 into the keyboard. And that's where I wrote my part of the book because I need to be around people, but I also needed to finish the book. <laughs> that's the, it's, it's so interesting. A lot of people, you know, they write in coffee shops, they write, you know, they need, they like the noise or they like the, the, the sound around them. I like total silence. I am now that way. Well, I got old, I crossed 40 and I'm like, well, any noise completely takes me out. Of <laughs> I think that's I it. Can. Yeah. I, I, that's it. I'm, I'm almost 47. And I think maybe, maybe you're right. That that's it too. It's age. Yeah. It's like, I just turned 48 and like, um, I would, you know, and well, and so I also have a degree in human computer interaction. And, uh, one of the things that I always used to tell particularly young writers is you actually can't write as quickly and effectively if there is noise because your brain cognitively switches back and forth between paying attention. And if there's something with lyrics you absolutely can't. And I would do it. There's an experiment where you have somebody, you give them a, something like a book and say, I want you just to write the words on a page. And while you do that, I want you to sing the national anthem. And they can't do it. Right. Cause you can only do one or the other. And I'm like, that's what happens if you're listening to lyrics and cause you're, you're, you're the, the, their words in your head. You don't have to sing it. The words are still... Anyway, it's always so fascinating to me when I see young writers doing stuff in like loud places because I'm like, well, you're going to do this way better in the quiet. <laughs> you know what, though? I have author friends, like prolific, you know, phenomenal writers who listen to music while they write and yeah. they love it and they, and they need it and it fuels whatever creativity or their muse and they, they love it. Ask and, them if they and, edit with the music on Probably likely not. Likely yeah. not. Although, like, who know, although who knows? Yeah. Um, and it, it's different if it's, if it's music, you know, and it truly is in the background and you're, and you're not listening to it or if it's music that doesn't have lyrics. So there's different, there's like gradations and flavors to that. Um, yes. but I always tell people this is the sort of music or no music is the right drunk edit sober of creative writing, right? Like <laughs> it's not the yes, MFA yes. debate. It's like, do you listen to music? Like there's two camps yes. and they're like, nope, you're wrong. The other one's wrong. Yes. <laughs> so you, so it takes you how long to write the book once you sit down to do it? That very first one, it took a year. So yeah, you just so banged that out year. fast. That's for not, for not really knowing what you were doing. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, but I also, you know, I was 29. I had so much energy. I didn't have kids. And well, and at the same time I was, I was working two jobs. I was doing my master's degree and I wrote a novel. When I look back at that time, I'm like, how did I, did I possibly do that? Yeah. I don't know. Every spare minute I had, I wrote, I took a notebook everywhere. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how exactly I did that, but that book didn't, didn't sell. So, you know, looking back, maybe, maybe, um, it wasn't the best idea to do it when I had so many other things going on. Who knows? <laughs> so it comes out, uh, and then sort of what happens when that, cause that's sort of an inflection point, like, Holy shit, I did this. Yes. Now what? Like, do I really plow into this or, and you're, you're still teaching or, or like you're going to start teaching. No, I was, yeah, no, I, so I was teaching at night at uh, the University of Toronto. I was teaching uh, during the day at a private school and I was doing, um, I was doing my master's at night. So <clears throat> I would, I would fit it in wherever. But when I finished the book, I thought, that's it. I'm going full steam ahead and yeah. I'm, I'm going to f try to find an agent. 
And I did. And I did. And I, I was shocked, especially knowing what I know now. <laughs> having right. gone through, you know, the 17-year path it took for me to actually get a traditional publishing deal. Um, oh, I can't believe how fast that happened. I found, I found, you know, an agent and he signed me and we went on submission and nope. <laughs> and what? And, and then, and then, you know, it didn't sell. So I wrote, wrote, yeah. But that's not that uncommon for a first book. No. And then it happened again. So I wrote, (laughs) that's a little bit, now we're starting to see a pattern. (laughs) (laughs) The second one is that's a little less fun. Yeah. So I wrote another one that also it didn't sell. So we, we parted ways amicably and (laughs) figured out like, what am I going to do next? Wait, does that mean that he was like, uh, I'm going to have to drop you. And you were like, yeah, I guess you're going to have to, is that what amicable? No, (laughs) no, not at all. Not at all. It was really like, you know, at this point, you know, these books are done. Like we're going to have to move on. They, again, they were chiclet at a time when chiclet was not selling. Um, so I was going to have to, you know, really, moved to write something else and you know he he didn't want to keep me on the hook while I was writing that and I didn't want to you know we just decided let's let's you know let's let each other go Uh um and and move forward so there's no story behind it (laughs) honestly honestly so is there um because I know part of the reason I started this way back when was that you know back when at least in America we're about the same age. Like if in the seventies and eighties, like you'd get like a two or three book deal and they would expect your first couple books to not do great as you built your platform. And like book three was sort of like the fulcrum, like, are you going to have a career in this or not? Um, And it sounds like even though you didn't have the three book deal, like book three is like, what are we going to do? Like, Oh yeah. Oh, but my woman on the edge is book five. Right. (laughs) <laughs> so it's not even so, book three <laughs> no no but no i know but i'm just saying like after the second book came out and you're making the pivot like that feels like this sort of like not remnant of old but that just sort of reminds me of like oh yeah yeah you're building an audience but was it weird to then did like the audience even because somebody bought it you had some audience that was back no then. no 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 but no nobody bought those books none zero <laughs> so zero, zero. no no they died those those well i okay so i self-published the second one actually yeah i um, did self-publish the second one yeah yeah and so when you're making this pivot into like getting away from chiclet it's not like oh i've spent all this time building this audience and now i'm gonna have to abandon them like you really it was easy to make the pivot. Oh, and also, you know, the readers I met, the people I met are so, they're so wonderful. That was the best part of that experience. Um, besides, you know, gaining grit and, and perseverance with the people I met and the, the readers who really have stuck with me all these years until, you know, they could get my book at a bookstore, you know, um, my, my act, my, my debut in quotations, cause it's my traditionally published debut. Um, but I didn't, and I didn't go into thrillers right away. I went into dark women's fiction. So I switched <laughs> Because you always like dark characters. Because I always like dark characters, but I still didn't, but, but nobody ever saw four, you know, or three out of the five books I've written uh, are sitting in a drawer. <laughs> so nobody has ever, you know, no reader has ever seen those. It's, you mean like they just, they, they weren't published at all. No, no. Uh, so I had a friend down in Texas who had like seven. He just never sent them out. He had fin- He was also really weird and 
we really we were more <laughs> we were more author drinking buddies than actually friends. But he had seven <laughs> books that he had finished that he'd never sent out. <clears throat> he just left in his drawer, and that flabbergasted me. Like, uh, yeah, no, I have, I have, yeah, I have three. Yeah. So did you have you thought about doing anything with them, or are they just no. like those are yeah burn them at some point, like right before your death, like get rid of these forever? <laughs> no, they to me they truly felt like they are part of the reason I got to where I am now Interesting. because I learned so much. There are no wasted words. I really, and I'm not just saying that I don't believe in wasted words. I think everything I've ever written and ever done, ever done up to this point, um, helped me get where I am. And so, uh, though, no, I'll, I won't publish them. I won't want them to be published. They're not there for that. I think they were there as, as learning experiences to teach me how to write, to teach me how to take rejection to teach me, you know, just how to take critique, yeah. all those things that are necessary for, for any successful writer. I think that, uh, is what, what their purpose was. It's, it's always interesting when I talk to people, particularly writers in the early phases of their career, the thing you just mm. said is what I always tell them. Like if you, Perfect. The thing that separates a, a writer from someone who's not a writer is if when somebody edits you, you can hear it yes. and you, and you don't get mad and take it personally. Um, yes. And if you realize that, that like every agent that's ever rejected, because I got, I got very nice, long, lengthy rejections on my memoir. Like it, it, it's like Chicklet. It was an Appalachian story and like JD Vance sort of saturated the market. And they're like, it's really hard to sell two of these. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. But, but people would send me like thousand word, like they clearly had read the thing and liked it. Um, and I always sent thank yous to him. And I was like, saying no is I, nobody wants to say no. And like, and yeah. I had so many agents send me a note back and say, send me the next thing that you do. It, just because they're like, oh, you're polite. Like, you're a professional. <laughs> like, I don't yes, know if you're, you're any good, but like, you're not going to send me the scathing email like, you don't know my genius. <laughs> yes. Feedback is a gift. You know, I might be a masochist, but I love, before, before the book is published, I love to be torn apart. I love it. I love it. You, I love when, you know, I get the toughest, most brutal, most honest feedback because it means someone really believes in my work if they're willing to take the time to do right. that. Right. And, and then and agents who get so many queries when, when an agent takes the time or an editor takes the time to explain why they're rejecting it. Um, yes. You take that and you say, thank you. And, and you use it going forward. Yeah. And most of the stuff that I got was there was very little, it, the, the critique was more of the business side of things, which is you kind of missed the window on this, which yeah. I knew. Um, but I was telling my friends last night that the best part about it was it confirmed what I actually thought and knew about the novel or not the novel, but the, the memoir, because there are some, you know, like race and class are discussed in the book and I'm a middle-aged white guy. And so like sending it out to a variety of people and I'd had readers, but getting them all to say like, yeah, this is really important. And you got that right. I was like, okay, like professionally as a writer, I'm able to gauge my own work. Like this is yeah. other people feel the same way. Um, and I wasn't surprised by any of the critique, which made me, yeah. even, you know, I'm like, well, the book is the book. I can't really do anything about the way things happen. So <laughs> I'm just not a good enough writer to pull that off. I'm okay with that. You know, <laughs> like, and I think as writers, we have really good guts too. Like we really do deep, deep, deep down. We, we you, you, you know, um, yeah. you know, and so when you get those rejections and you get the feedback, there, there's definitely a part of us that's like, I, I knew, I knew this. I just couldn't quite bring myself to, to believe it. 
And you know, there's, I tell people like the art of writing is what you do when you're sitting in, in, in your room, writing the book, the actual, the actual yeah. product of the book. That's not yours. That's, that's, yes. that's everybody. When they get it, they're going to take it and do what they want with it. So if your validation comes by that, you're not going to be a happy writer because the book happened in your head and on the page. Yeah. Um, and so at some point, particularly with this book, the one that I got, I haven't been able to let it go because I'm sad that I'm not a good enough writer to pull it off, but the book is me and the, you know what I mean? Like it's, that's, if I, if I polished it, I don't think I would like it. And so I'm okay with the rough edges about it because it's also a story about poor people in Appalachia, which are, you know, there's a lot of rough edges there, you know, like, uh, and so it's really interesting that sometimes you just got to put it away and be like, no, that's the art of the thing is done. People don't like the product, not my problem. No, but also there, there may be a moment to go back to it and to tear it down and rebuild it. I've done that three times. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So you're done. Yeah. I mean, Time like, to move on. I'm sort of setting it aside and, and cause yeah. I've raised money on Kickstarter for it. So eventually it'll go out and I'm, uh, I've given myself some distance to just do the last read and say, I'm just going to yeah. sit down and read this from beginning to end. Um, yeah. and, and you know, you know how it is. Like you're just, you're good with it. Like I'm actually, oh, I much prefer art that has rough edges than pure, pretty polished art. I just, that's sure. just my thing. And I sort of feel that way about store. I know people shit on David Foster Wallace, but like, it's why I like reading them because it's just sort of a mess of a story all over the place. And you can really go into corners and, 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 and I just like that. Like it's an exercise and fun for me. Um, yeah, I think it takes a very unique writer to do that. And everyone has their own skills and their own, uh, their own thing. Yeah. So I think, yes, yes. So the third, so the third book, what's the first one that readers see? The fourth one? So the first, so the first, so the second one I self-published and that was like an edgy rom-com. Okay. So they saw that one was in the world. And then that one was in the world. That's one, that one's in the world, but it's been a very long time. I I self-published that in 2012. Who'd you do it with? Uh, me. <laughs> but, but, but no, but I mean, like, did you use like Create Space or did you use? Yeah, I used Amazon, so KDP and Create Space. Yeah, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, so yeah, and it was amazing actually to do it myself and to enter this world of of authors and indie authors and and just you know I met most amazing people. Oh, yeah. just a wonderful group of people and bloggers and people who to this day are you know close friends and, and supports. And then. I uh, wrote so two more books and spent the next um, eight, no, the next few years trying to find an agent for two more books. And that, and that was a no-go. So uh, I, was st- I wasn't going to stop. I never, never once considered giving up. I knew that there was a book in me that I was going to be on bookstore shelves. I knew it. I didn't know what book it was. I didn't know uh-huh. how it was going to happen. And then... I wrote Woman on the Edge um, six years ago, and that was the book that got me my, you know, my fierce goddess of an agent. That's the book that uh, has become a number one national bestseller in Canada. That's, you know, like, uh, is now out in the U.S. That's, yeah, you know, after all these years, um, to see that happen, all, yeah, all it took was I just had, I needed to find the right story. And where did that come from? Not that... Like, uh, no, I'm, th- yes, I'm both interested in that as a question and I'm not because sometimes it's like, I just like the characters and that's where they went. <laughs> you know, like, 
No, it came from uh, public transit. It came from standing on a subway platform. So the book is is about uh, a a woman who is a child childless widow uh, who is desperate for a baby of her own, and she's standing on a subway platform in Chicago. Uh, just waiting to take the train home from her job as a social worker when a complete stranger walks up to her, says, take my baby. She then says uh, the woman's name. She puts the baby into her arms and then she jumps in front of an oncoming train. Um, So that is, in a nutshell, the story of a woman on the edge. I was on a subway platform six years ago and I saw a woman holding a newborn and she was standing too close to the edge Oh no! And yes, and 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 on her face, I, I recognize the exhaustion of new motherhood. Like I, you know, how I felt with my own two kids, who are you know almost ten and almost thirteen now. But you know, I I, I recognize, or I thought I recognized it on her, and I immediately thought, what if? You know, just what if? And then I wrote the premise on an empty gum pack I found in my purse, and then the train, then the train came. And we got on the train and the woman's, you know, nestling her baby, looking all content. And I realized I'd projected all of my own fears onto her. <laughs> <laughs> but, but from that, yes. Yeah, led to but, a good book. So Yes. Yes. So that moment, like you just never know when a story is gonna hit you. You can look at for one and you can try and try and try to think of one. And then out of nowhere, this the the idea hit me. And and I knew when I as I wrote, I thought if any book is gonna get me what I've wanted for so long, it's, it's going to be this one. And then, and it happened, but it took, it took six years. It took six years of, of revisions and rewrites, three and a half years of revisions with my agent before we sold it. I mean, she is, she's just incredible. It's a, uh... That did not, that I was afraid where that story was going to go. <laughs> I'll be honest. Like I'm still kind of stuck back there. I was like, Holy shit. Are you about to tell me a mom jumped in front of a train with her? No, no, no. This, it was all me. It was all that, you know, dark, dark yeah. imagination. Yeah. Uh, no, and I would never, I would never do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. No, 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 no. I wouldn't. I, I don't think I could take someone's real, real story and right. do that with it. No, this was all me. Um, yeah, and and this you know poor poor woman who is truly you know happy and fine and <laughs> right, but also may have also been tired. Like you know she could have had that sure. momentary face thing. And yeah, um, yeah. I, I live next door to a, a family. They're in a two bedroom and they got a nine, a five, and an eighteen month old. And I normally talk <sighs> to kids outside and stuff like that. But I've seen the look. You know, like, yeah, oh, yeah. When even when mom is well rested, there's just that look on her face of like, they're everywhere, like, everywhere. Oh, my gosh, yeah, (laughs) especially now, it's really, um, yeah, yeah, it's a juggle. (laughs) It really is. It's interesting, too, because I'm always so, uh, my friend Janelle Brown, whose book Pretty Things, yes, I, I'm sorry, I have to interrupt because I haven't read that book yet. I read the uh, her previous one, Watch Me Disappear. Thank you. Oh, so good. I Don't ruin it. The last so page of that book. Good. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. yeah. I, so I've known Janelle for 20 years. And, uh, no, really? Oh. Yeah. We go back to the, she worked at Wired and then Salon. And Janelle was like, not that I want to turn this into the Janelle program, but she sort of gave legitimacy to writing online with her long form work at Salon. So she's like, oh, she was amazing. both sort of iconic in the online writing, like media world. And then she's turned into like a brilliant novelist and pretty things is actually oh. 21st. Um, but oh, I, so you talented. know, and, 
And we, yeah, the last page of that book is so good. It's so, and I just, every time I read it, I just call her or text her when I'm just like, I fucking, I hate you. Like, this is so well, good. I, you, you can <laughs> right? tell her, I, 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 I think we're friends on Facebook, but yeah, you can tell her. I just think she is, she's um, an incredibly talented author. And I, I, that book, I'll never forget that book. It's one of those yeah. books that will just stay with me for such a long time. Well, and you know, um, I got her on the program. She's, uh, she's on the program and, I brought her out to Indianapolis when her, when that that came out and and we did some readings um, that I'd set up for her. And that was when I found out that she gets critiqued for like writing, not likable women. And I was like, Oh shit, because I kind of want to marry all the women in those books. I was like, I feel like I need to reevaluate my, because they're just so fully formed and so interesting and flawed and like, you know, like sort of not striving to be better people. Like they're just like the rest of us trying to get through. Well, they're, yeah, they're real. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel like that's been like 90% of my dating life. And I'm like, so maybe I'm <laughs> incorrectly that I'm fine because I find them great. Uh, but she finds her story through character, right? Like she gets a character in her head and, and then sort of lets them go. And that's sort of where yeah. her, so it's always interesting to me the way people um, emerge. Cause when I try to plan, like I said, when I try to plan something out, it doesn't work. Like I can't, I can't plot something out. I have to. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Is like- I, I didn't. I didn't until I started writing thrillers. It was writing thrillers that I, I have to because in order to place all the clues in the right place and in order to, I, I, I need to know the, the begin, middle, and end. But it doesn't mean that doesn't evolve. I have a sure. full-on, like, you know, 20-page uh, scene-by-scene outline, but that absolutely changes and evolves as I write. That's crazy. I, uh... Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, re- it's really interesting. And, and again, like that, that gets back to like the, I'm a rough edge person. And like, I'm assuming with, with uh, Janelle and I haven't ever talked about it, but it's the same way, right? Like thing, if things aren't in the right place and revealed at the right time in the right manner, yeah, none of it's good. It's, it sort of all falls apart. Um, it, we're, yeah. And, and maybe that, maybe that's the problem with my memoirs. I'm like, ah, we're just going to let that shit fall down and we'll move on to the next part. <laughs> but memoir is such a different animal than like right. thrillers and every genre is different in, 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 you know, how you approach it and how, and every writer is so different. Listen, I know, I know thriller authors, they don't plot and their books are exceptional. They don't, yeah. they don't do scene outlines They're You know, they sit down and they start writing and they just, they, they, and they, they can. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, right. Like everybody, in, everybody does it differently. And apparently in, in Janelle's book, and I can say this because I was at her, one of her readings last night, it, the, the book starts in third person and then slowly shifts into first person. So there's like this, this new book. Ooh. Yeah. Right. So like, there's this, this, like there's a detached narrator, but that detached narrator is actually the main character. Oh. Uh, and so she was sort of talking about the ways in which that evolved and the way, you know, and she didn't even yet, like it was planned, but then she was like, then it sort of just, I understood why it was happening that way. And I was like, God damn, like everything, she, like, like, of course I want to read that. Like, that sounds amazing. And like, yeah, I can't wait to read it. Right. And like, clearly this character is unhinged. So yeah, no, I'm in like, let's do that for a little bit. Uh, oh, unhinged characters are some of my favorite to read. Right. And she's so good because, you know, haven't been in Silicon Valley and sort of growing up out there and like then covering it and being sort of so important in that all her characters run through that like dot com entrepreneur. So it, I also get the enjoyment of like, oh, 
like I'll text her and be like, are you taking these people down? Like this character, I don't generally like to do this, but I'm like, this character is based on these people, isn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I know what you're saying about who and who you're saying it about. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. Yeah. So, so that book comes out. And, and so now what are we working? Like, where are we at? So, so where are we at? So with that book, so that book came out in Canada in November with Simon Schuster Canada and in the UK with Headline. And in Canada, like I said, so in Canada becomes a number one national bestseller. Um, and and ne- never in my wildest dreams ever did I did I imagine that. Um, you know, all of this inc- incredible success that I've been able to experience, I just feel so privileged and so, so grateful. And I'm not just saying that. And, you know, it's not a cheesy sense. It just blows my mind. My The readers have been incredible. Uh, and then it came out in the U.S. March 3rd. <laughs> 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 and That's any author funny. with a, yeah. So that was, you know, um, uh, it's, it's, U.S. readers have been um, in, incredible and, and so kind and supportive and generous. And people are buying it where they can. Um, they're, you know, uh, everyone's doing their best and authors. We're all helping each other and just trying to get the word out about everybody's books and trying to read as much as we can. So we'll see, you know, what happens. Um, it'll be coming out in seven different uh, European countries. It's going to be translated. Oops, sorry, I just knocked out my earbud. <laughs> uh, it's going to be translated into seven languages at this point. So, uh, you know, there are so many authors, especially debuts, they didn't get the Canadian release. You know, they didn't get to experience. I got to experience my launch party. I got to experience walking into a bookstore and seeing my book. That's For great. the first time, I, it's amazing. And I, I feel very emotional because there are so many debut authors, especially, who aren't getting that experience. And I hope, I hope in a few months, they'll be able to walk into a bookstore and see their book on a shelf for the first time because everybody deserves to feel that. Yeah, it's the, the thing that I have because I've obviously I've talked to a lot of debut authors and yeah. a lot more and I you know I've told them like one start planning your big book party now like yeah. like you need to do that and like make that yeah. shit but whatever you want it to be because there's no rules and everybody's going to want to come to a party after this so the yes. minute it's released <laughs> you're literally going to have the biggest book release party in the history of like anything but, exactly. No, nobody will touch you, but that's fine. Right. They'll, you know, they'll, right. they'll show as long up. As, they, yes. as long as they buy your book, who gives a shit, right? Exactly. Like, once it exactly. turned into the product, I'm like, the only thing I care about is you buying it. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you don't like it, you're paying for the attempt. That's all I can tell you, right? <laughs> it's, it's definitely part of that, yes. It, it's, um, it's so fascinating because when the, and maybe you experience something like this, but like when your book is done, if you're, if it's a traditional, you know, you got like nine months to a year, maybe 18 yeah. months before it comes out. And so like you're done with the project, there's nothing left to do with the project, but you literally can't show anybody. And you sort of feel like a magician whose trick went wrong. You're like, guys, I do have a book. It will be out. And, and that book release is like the cathartic end to the project. Yes. I was just talking about this last night with a couple of, a couple of author friends or a few author friends 
Um, the idea that, you know, the poor family and friends of writers who <laughs> hear for so long, I'm writing a book. I sold my book. My book's coming out in a year and a half. Okay. So now my book's coming out in six months. It's such a long process. And as writers, we understand it. We're in it. We understand that it is so long, right. <laughs> but for everybody else, they, you know, they must be thinking like, this is the weirdest business in the whole world. <laughs> right. And like, you're starting to work on your next project and you're like, yes. your book's not even out. What if nobody buys yes. it? Like, That's not the yes. way the business works, right? Like I'm banking yes. that there's going to be enough momentum that I can get the next book out a year after, which means this has to be done almost before the book is released. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Depending on where you're at, I'm, I'm writing my next one now and, you know, just simply timing wise. So I am working or trying to work on my next one now. Yeah. But I mean, like, it's just, it's hard for people to understand, like, that process yes. is just weird as shit. And it is weird as shit. <laughs> and, and for me, like, it was like, I mean, I've told this story a million times, but like, when I sent the book off to our publisher, when we were done with the last edits, my friend was at my house. She was helping me redecorate. She asked me how I was doing. I looked at her, I burst into tears, and I turned around and went back into my Aww. bedroom. And it was just like, Again, it was cathartic. Like it's like, well, this is over. Like I don't know who I am anymore because I just spent the last year in this project, and now it's gone. And by the way, nobody's going to see it for eighteen months. You know, so I'm just going to be in my room crying for eighteen months, trying to get my shit back together, and then figure out what do you, what is book two, what is the next book, what is the next thing, and what, yes, and trying to figure it out, and and you know, getting approval on it, and making sure that everyone's on the same page with it. Um, so that was actually a process, you know, just wanting to make sure with my, you know, agents and editor that we could all, uh, you know, find an idea to follow a uh, woman on the edge and, and find something that I felt in my bones. Right. And did you, you know, like, wa- did you wander Toronto looking for what looked like people doing dark things? <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Kind of. <laughs> kind of, because that I can't give too much away about my next book. But yeah, there no, is, <laughs> there is an element yeah. of that in it. Yes, yeah. I feel like I feel like I got a pretty good handle on you. <laughs> I, I was, yeah, like I said, you should have been a therapist. It's funny. The best of these interviews, I've, I've had many people tell me like, holy shit, like I never thought about my life as much as I've thought about my life today. I'm like, that's an interesting conversation. I, it's true. And especially now, you know, when we're all thinking so much and there's so much going on, I, I didn't think about my, how my education uh, in so many ways, you know, was a, the perfect mix to, to create the writer I, I became. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's all, it sort of comes to a, Oops. Uh, I think that. that's okay. My dog's been wandering around, so I'm sure there's clickety clacks happening in the back. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, it is always interesting to me. Like even as, cause I think a lot about my own stuff just when I'm having conversations with, with people like you and like, I didn't realize that my writing was so influenced by the sort of oral storytelling that I grew up around right. until I started doing this show a lot. And I was like, Oh, that's what people mean when they say I have an interesting voice. It's only interesting because it is oral on a page in a way that people generally try to edit away from that. Right. you like, yeah. you don't want it to sound like somebody's talking, like you're crafting something that's different than human speech. Um, and I am not right. Like, so th- those things I just think are uh, the only interesting writer conversations. <laughs> it's sort of like, what is it in your life that led you to this terrible, this, you know, <laughs> to this, life choice? You know, 
It is. I call it, it's, it's the same for me as having children. It's exquisite torture. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a love that is so beautiful and painful at the same time. And it, it's indescribable, really, but only another writer or a parent really understands. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, many of the women writers who are on the program who have children have described writing very much like being pregnant and raising the kid yes. in that way. Yes. And, and, and have said interesting things like, I think maybe emotionally, like I am not saying this, but they have, so I'm parroting, but they said that, that women are probably, women who have children who have given birth are probably better equipped to handle that post turn in the book depression sadness because yeah. you've already, you're like, it's not, it is different, but it's analogous to this sort of, I grew a baby, I birthed the baby, and now I raised the baby. And you sort of know the emotional yeah. ups and downs that are coming where someone like me, I'm just like, I obviously I left my bedroom and like burst into tears for three days and did not know why could not put words on why that was happening. <laughs> it, well, it's exactly like, it's exactly like, you know, it's interesting. That's, there's a, a lot about postpartum depression in my, in my book. And, and it, it, it is that, it is that, um, catharsis and the the all there's just there's so many emotions in birthing a book and and you know having a child and you put your all into something and then once you put your all into something and then you let it go oh i mean it's 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 both devastating and both and both um ecstasy at the same time yeah I have come to learn through this show that and i i believe it to be true although i know it's just everybody's opinion that women who have had children are better able to navigate the post book process than the rest of us because yeah. And I think, you know, now, now that I do it, now that I've had a couple things come out, I have less of that, but that first one, Holy shit, that just hits you like a ton of bricks. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, look, this has been great. Um, And I know we talked off air before, like when all this is over, I'll definitely be coming to Toronto because I go visit baseball stadiums and, uh, and, and you're going to have to tell me where to hike. Yes. No. And we can go, we'll have a drink. That would be we'll great. In person. Yes. We'll be able to like shake hands. We'll be able, you know, it'll be, it'll be absolutely be wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was very, you know, Thriller Fest was just canceled. I was, I was quite, um, devastated by that. It's the right call, but I was so hoping to, uh, you know, meet all these authors there and, uh, they just canceled you know, so, book expo too. I saw that. Too. Yeah. I understand. Listen, again, it's the right call. It's just, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. But every, like every yeah. conversation is just like, oh yeah, they've canceled that as well. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I'll see you yeah. in 2021. Um, yes. It was great talking to you. Uh, it's fascinating. I know we're going to keep in touch and. Uh, Definitely. I can't wait to pick up the book and give a read and. Uh, thank you. Yeah. And I will talk to you soon and have a great day. You too. And thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. Take care, Brad. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. I hope that you are finding those kinds of conversations in your world these days. It's more important than ever. I've said it before and I'll say it again. While it is important to socially distance, we have to make sure that we don't emotionally distance. Um, It's hard right now. 
and it doesn't seem like there's going to be an end, but there will be, and we need to take care of each other and ourselves during that time. Part of that is washing your hands, staying inside, wearing masks, doing all the things that you're supposed to. You should also go to bookshop.org and and buy Samantha's book. It'd be great if you could go through my website, thebradking.com, and click on the link there. I don't take ads, but we get a little bit of revenue from those kinds of affiliate links. Uh, While you're at the site, you can sign up for my newsletter. Um, You also can go leave a review at iTunes or wherever you listen to this. And don't forget on May 29th, uh, hosting the virtual happy hour with Janelle Brown, whose book Pretty Things is about to be uh, an Amazon Prime show, and I'm positive it's going to be a bestseller. While the space is filled up, get on the wait list because we will be adding more dates. I hope you are well. Thank you for continuing to listen. Thank you for sharing this with your friends. Thank you for helping us celebrate writers during this time. And I look forward to more of this. And until then, I will see you around the internet. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.